National Archives podcast series. Highlights of the security service files released at the National Archives. Presented by Professor Christopher Andrew. The latest release of declassified MI5 files reveals one extraordinary missed opportunity by the Abwehr, German foreign intelligence in the Second World War. The file concerned, KV2-3643, is that of the Dutchman Volkert van Kutrick, who in 1937 had begun working for the British SIS, also known as MI6, in the Netherlands. A year later, van Kutrick was recruited by the Abwehr as a double agent, codenamed Walbach, and betrayed SIS's longest-serving German agent, Dr. Otto Kruger, who had provided valuable intelligence on the German Navy ever since the First World War. Kruger committed suicide in a German prison shortly after confessing that he had worked for SIS for 21 years. It was largely thanks to van Kutrick that two SIS officers were lured to Venlo on the Dutch-German border, where they were kidnapped and kept prisoner for the rest of the war. Van Kutrick also betrayed MI5's most important German agent, the diplomat Wolfgang Zuputlitz, who, however, managed to escape to England. Van Kutrick's treachery went entirely unnoticed by MI5 and SIS. His file shows that after the German invasion of the Low Countries in May 1940, he fled to Britain, probably at the instigation of the Abwehr, which doubtless hoped to continue using him as a double agent. On his arrival, Van Kutrick assured MI5 and SIS, I am proud to say that for my part, not a piece of paper which could lead to the arrest by Germans of our agents was left in our, my house. My wife and I, we did not think of ourselves, but of the people we left behind. We left the house only with a small case with some children's clothes. Van Kutrick was quickly taken on by MI5 to make, quote, special inquiries about foreign refugees. So for the first time in its history, MI5 was penetrated in May 1940 by a German agent, only a month before it recruited the Soviet agent, Anthony Blunt, of whose past record it was also unaware. While Van Kutrick was not in the Blunt class, his previous record as the Apwehr's most successful agent operating against British targets, combined with his continuing ability to avoid attracting suspicion, demonstrate that he posed a serious potential security threat. Though MI5 never suspected Van Kutrick's loyalty, it sacked him in August 1941 because of his abrasive personality. He went on to work for a year for SIS and later for the security service of the Dutch government in exile in Britain. His pre-war treachery was only discovered during the post-war interrogation of Abwehr officers. An SIS report concluded, the man has blood on his hands. What Van Kutrick's file does not reveal is why, having penetrated MI5 and SIS at a low but significant level, he did not renew contact with the Abwehr during the war. It wouldn't have been difficult for the Abwehr to make arrangements for Van Kutrick to communicate with it after he moved to England, for example by writing under a pseudonym to a cover address in a neutral country. An Abwehr threat to reveal to the British that he'd betrayed both Kruger and Putlitz would have been likely to ensure Van Kutrick's continued collaboration. But the opportunity was missed. Most of MI5's key files on its greatest wartime success, 
the double agent system used to feed prodigious amounts of disinformation to the Germans, have already been transferred to the National Archives. The files on these and other wartime deceptions have been well used, for example, in Ben McIntyre's bestsellers on double agent zigzag and Operation Mincemeat, and in the revealing recent biography of Snow, the first of the double agents, by Nigel West and Maida Roberts. Some further significant files on the double-cross system, however, continue to surface. A good example is file KV4-465 in the latest release, which contains a detailed report on the British banknotes used by the Outfair to pay the double agents who were deceiving it. It also reveals a partly successful German plan to destroy international confidence in large denomination British banknotes by making and distributing forgeries of them. This is a topic which merits further research. We know from other sources that the Apfair used forged British banknotes to pay its now celebrated agent, Liesa Basner, codenamed Cicero, valet to the British ambassador in Turkey. Though Cicero provided important genuine intelligence, the Apfair paid far more attention to the bogus intelligence it was receiving in large quantities from MI5's double agents. When Cicero tried to spend his large nest egg of £300,000, millions of pounds at today's values, after the war, he discovered that the Germans had paid him in forged British banknotes. After a naive attempt to sue the post-war West German government for compensation failed, he was forced to try and earn a living as a used car salesman in Istanbul. He also published a memoir and gave singing lessons. By far the best-known individual whose MI5 file is included in the current release is Charlie Chaplin, KV2-3700 and KV2-3701. At the height of his Hollywood career during the era of silent movies, he was the world's most famous film star. Chaplin's FBI file, which was declassified in the United States some years ago, is far longer than his MI5 file and was opened 30 years earlier in the early 1920s. Suspicions of Chaplin's left-wing friends and sympathies led the long-serving director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, privately to denounce him as, quote, one of Hollywood's parlor Bolsheviks. MI5 opened its file on Chaplin in 1952 in response to an inquiry from the FBI which suspected that Chaplin was using an alias and that his real name might be Israel Thornstein. Chaplin himself claimed, and doubtless believed, that he was a Londoner born in Walworth on the 16th of April, 1889. MI5's search of birth records at Somerset House, however, drew a blank. It would seem, concluded MI5, that Chaplin was either not born in this country or that his name at birth was other than those mentioned. The Americans were informed that there was, quote, no trace in our records of Charlie Chaplin and no evidence that Chaplin's name is or ever has been Israel Thornstein, the name suggested by the FBI. Further MI5 inquiries, including investigation of the possibility that he'd been born in France, also proved fruitless. In 1953, Chaplin was denied re-entry to the United States, although, no doubt correctly, he denied being a communist. MI5, unlike the FBI, assessed Chaplin as, quote, progressive or radical, not communist, and concluded in 1958 that he was not a security risk. It's very unusual 
particularly after investigation by MI5, for the date and place of birth of such a well-known celebrity as Charlie Chaplin to remain so mysterious, though there's no reason to regard the mystery as in any way sinister. New evidence, which emerged only last year, may perhaps solve the problem. In a locked bureau drawer, Chaplin's family discovered a letter sent to him in old age. The writer, Jack Hill, told Chaplin that Chaplin had been born in a gypsy caravan which belonged to Hill's aunt, known as the Gypsy Queen in a Romany community in the black country. Chaplin's mother, Hannah, Hill added, was a member of the Hill family of travellers. Though there's no proof that Jack Hill's information is correct, Chaplin obviously treated it seriously. Otherwise, as his oldest surviving son has commented, Chaplin would not have preserved it so carefully. Unusually, the latest release of MI5 records contains the files of three Nobel Prize winners, all scientists, and two of them women. MI5's interest in scientists with communist connections was heightened in the aftermath of the Second World War by the discovery of the involvement of a small but important number of communist scientists who had worked as Soviet agents, passing to Moscow top-secret material which included the plans of the first atomic bomb, later cloned by Soviet nuclear scientists. The British Nobel laureate whose file is included in the latest release is Dorothy Hodgkin, née Crowfoot, winner of the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1964. She attracted the attention of MI5 chiefly because of her husband, Thomas Hodgkin, who joined the Communist Party in 1937, the year of his marriage to Dorothy. Thomas and Dorothy have a joint six-volume MI5 file, which begins at KV2-3680 and is more concerned with Thomas than with Dorothy. Thomas Hodgkin, who became a fellow of Balliol College, Oxford in 1945, was one of the leading pioneers in promoting the British study of African history. He was, for a time, an advisor to the first leader of independent Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, and director of the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana. The latest declassified files also include that of Hodgkin's friend, Basil Davidson, whose eight volumes begin at K2-3690, another leading British pioneer of African studies, as well as a prolific journalist and author. In the Second World War, Davidson had been a member of SOE, the British Special Operations Executive, fighting with communist partisans in Italy and Yugoslavia. He was awarded the Military Cross, was twice mentioned in dispatches, and ended the war as Lieutenant Colonel. After the war, Davidson was an active member of a number of pro-communist organisations, but unlike Thomas Hodgkin, was never a party member. His MI5 file concludes that he was, quote, never a true communist. Dorothy Hodgkin never came close to joining the Communist Party, though she had considerable sympathy for some of her husband's political opinions. Her scientific mentor, with whom she wrote some of her early scientific articles, was one of Britain's leading communist scientists, Professor J.D. Bernal, who, until the 1956 invasion of Hungary, was a supporter of successive Soviet regimes. Dorothy Hodgkin called him sage and had an intermittent affair with him, but she was never a security risk. The other two Nobel laureates whose joint file appears in the latest release are both French, Irène Curie and Frédéric Joliot. 
Irene Curie was the first female Nobel laureate whose mother, Marie, had also won the Nobel Prize. Irene met and married Frédéric Joliot while he was researching at her mother's institute. After their marriage, they adopted the surname Joliot-Curie and were jointly awarded the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1935 for their discovery of new artificially constructed radioactive isotopes, which turned pre-war Paris into a major centre of nuclear research. Their joint MI5 file begins at KV2, stroke 3686. Both Irene and Frédéric Joliot-Curie joined the Communist Party, though Frédéric, as well as being a wartime resistance hero, was politically more active than his wife. In October 1945, he became first head of the French Atomic Energy Commission, a position from which he was removed by an anti-communist French government in 1950. Joliot-Curie had assured Moscow that French scientists would, quote, always be at your disposal without asking for any information in return. He seems to have been used by Moscow, however, not as an agent, but as an important propaganda asset. Joliot Curie became president of the most important of the Soviet front organizations, the World Peace Council, from its foundation in 1949 to his death in 1958, when he was succeeded by Dorothy Hodgkin's sage, Professor Bernal. Joliot Curie gave passionate personal support to the now discredited Soviet propaganda campaign against alleged American germ warfare during the Korean War, which he denounced as, quote, one of the most sinister chapters in human history. An international scientific commission appointed by the World Peace Council declared this fraudulent charge proven. The latest MI5 release also contains a 15-volume file on another Soviet front organization, the World Federation of Scientific Workers, WFSW, which was founded after the Second World War at the instigation of a British trade union, the then communist-led Association of Scientific Workers. Volume 2 of the file, KV5-140, stroke contains a summary of the WFSW's links with the Association of Scientific Workers. The WFSW was a rare example of a Soviet front organization which was both founded in London and had a London headquarters. It was closely associated with the World Peace Council and for a time was also headed by Frédéric Joliot-Curie. The WFSW's activities, which were closely monitored by MI5, included campaigning against American, British and French, but not Russian, nuclear tests. There are also declassified, though fragmentary, files on the early careers of a number of veteran German communists, several of whom rose to prominence in post-war communist East Germany, which in 1949 became the German Democratic Republic. Among them was the hardline Stalinist Hermann Matern, file KV2-3689, who led a purge of alleged heretics in the party. He became particularly notorious for purging Jewish communists whom he commonly condemned as, quote, Zionist conspirators. Martin was showered with honours by both the East German regime and Moscow, which in 1968 awarded him the Order of Lenin. There's also a fragmentary file, KV2-3698, on the early career of Richard Stahlmann, 
who went on to become a member of the East German Politburo and in the early 1950s, head of its foreign intelligence operations. In 1950, he organized the kidnap of the head of the West German Communist Party, Kurt Müller, who had fallen out of Soviet favor. Müller was subjected to a brutal interrogation, then imprisoned by the Russians. The subjects of the current batch of files also include a great variety of others suspected by MI5 of having connections with Soviet or Nazi intelligence, with communist parties, and with various forms of espionage. Their nationalities are very diverse. American, Austrian, British, Dutch, Finnish, French, German, Hungarian, Irish, Latvian, Palestinian, Polish, Romanian, Russian, Turkish, and Yugoslav. As usual, there's a very helpful National Archives introduction to some of the files. This latest release brings the total of MI5 files in the National Archives to over 4,900, of which the most recent go up to 1961. Over the last decade, they've inspired an increasing number of books, articles, and graduate theses. Their significance extends far beyond the history of MI5 operations. They contain, for example, valuable insights into the way British prime ministers from Asquith to Macmillan used or did not use intelligence, a major topic sometimes ignored by their biographers. Imperial and gender historians, among others, will also find from time to time important new material in the KV series. The files on individuals, even when MI5 concluded they pose no security risk, sometimes, as, for example, in the cases of W.H. Auden and Jacob Pronofsky, sometimes contain new biographical material. The KV series in the National Archives continues to set a large and growing research agenda. This podcast was recorded at the National Archives in Kew on the 7th of February 2012. This podcast is copyright, the National Archives, all rights reserved.